Hello, and welcome to episode 58 of Craft, Cook, Read, Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. I'm Monica. And I'm Courtney. Today is Thursday, February 4th, 2021. A big thank you to all of our listeners, both old and new. We hope this podcast will continue to be something you put on repeat. How's it going, Courtney? It's going so well. Oh, good. That's excellent. I'm over here doing all kinds of crazy shenanigans that I can't wait to tell you about. Excellent. I look forward to hearing them. Yeah, there was a couple of things this week. I was like, oh, it's almost Thursday. I get to talk to Courtney about this. (laughs) Should I text her? No, I will just wait. So So we will be talking about all our regular, regular stuff on the needles, on the easel, on the table, and on the nightstand. And we shall start with on the needles. Oh, oh. Tomorrow is National Nutella Day. Yes, it's on my calendar. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's true. I saw it somewhere. It's like, oh, got to celebrate new, that. This is a Nutella household. Is yours a Nutella household? We have started to become, I mean, we've always liked Nutella, but it has never been a, an integral part of the household. But One quarter of us feels like it's a part of the food pyramid. Not me. <laughs> and it's not unreasonable. It's not a, not a bad choice. I have Nutella backstock in my pantry. <laughs> You're ready for the apocalypse. Yeah. You will not run out of Nutella. All right. That is not our section that we're talking about. We're talking about knitting. My knitting has been bringing me great joy. So that's fun along with other things, but the knitting in particular. So I have a, quite a few finished objects. I finished the socks that I pulled out of the drawer of mystery. So that was fun. Those were the Newton socks by Cookie A in Indigo Dragonfly Murgoat Sock, which is a merino cashmere nylon blend. And that was the, the beautiful dark green ones. I posted those on Instagram. If you go onto our show notes, the links there, I'll go to my Ravelry pages. But I do try and post most things on Instagram as well. And if I forget something and you really want to see it, let me know and I'll grab a picture of it and put it on Instagram if you can't go on to Ravelry. So this is the dark green ones. I had one totally complete sock that I started in July 2013 and then I put them aside and I don't know why because it fits fine. It was great. It's a wonderful pattern. It's a a lace, leafy lace repeat. Yeah, so then I started on the second one and got it done. And now I have beautiful new socks. So that was really fun. So then I went back into the drawer of mystery and found another pair from the same club, but from February of 2012. So even older. And this is the Wayward Socks pattern, also by Cookie A. And the yarn for this one is Alicia Goes Around Richness of Martin's Fingering in the Genevieve colorway, which is red. This, like, it's not even a particular type of red. This is just red. I think if you think of red, this is this is what that red is. <laughs> it is. That's wildly specific. <laughs> like Crayola <sighs> red. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But and and the sock base, the yarn is a uh, merino cashmere silk. So it kind of has a little shimmer and glow and is so soft and oh it's just gorgeous to work with which is good because I'm going to be working on this sock for a while. It is twisted stitches all the way down, ribbing and cables. And it is it is a mental workout to, to make sure you're not screwing it up. But fun, you know, it's totally different from the other stuff that I'm working on, which is just... So this is from the drawer of socks. So you already did yes. this once. So I have, yes. Yeah, so I have, same okay. exact thing. I have one sock and then I stopped. <laughs> I'm Gee, guess, I wonder why. I don't, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's quite a suck. I'm assuming I was just going to take a little break or. Yeah. I don't even know what. Um, I do have to make sure this, the way this, the cables move, there is a left sock and a right sock. So I have to make sure that when I'm doing sock two, do the correct sock. I think I've got that figured out, but there's always so, a chance that I will end up with two left socks. I ordered Adam some running socks for Christmas Mm -hmm. and they came and there were like beautiful 
well, they're not like hand knit socks, but they're beautiful for a running sock. And he opened them up to put them in the washer. And he realized that he had received two left socks from the manufacturer. And I was kind of giving him a bad time. Like, so what? Like, just put them on your feet. Except that there's some contouring to it, like a hand knit sock. Mm. So what an ordeal it was to return a opened. Yeah. And it was their fault. (laughs) All to say, I guess it matters. I guess it matters which way the stitches twist. (laughs) Well, it's not the, it's the cables. It's two rows of cables that kind of come into one. And so it, it ends up lining up more towards the inside of your foot. Yeah. So it wouldn't actually matter, I don't think, but it would just look odd. I mean, you could do it the same, but it just is going to look more gorgeous. Like two left socks. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, you would have. (laughs) Or two right, but yeah, same thing. So, so I am enjoying working on that. I am, <laughs> I am about halfway done. No, let's say two thirds done with the cuff. So, yeah, it takes a long time. And there's there's chart. There's a cuff chart. There's a leg chart, and then there's foot chart for each foot, and then there's a toe chart for each toe. So, yeah, it's going to be a project, but it's good, and it's red, so it's you know nice for. For Valentine's Day and whatnot inside. And it was very nice because I had the yarn in there. I had the completed sock in there. I had the pattern all printed out and in there. So I just had to grab some needles and get ready to go. And the yarn is wonderful. Very exciting. How long do you think it'll take you? A while. I mean, it's definitely not mindless. Yeah. But it's weird because it is so complicated and you definitely have to focus and you're reading the chart and then you move the sticky up on the chart or that, I mean, which is how I'm doing it. You can do it however it works for you. But it is also kind of relaxing because your mind is so focused on that that it doesn't really think yeah. about other things and you feel like you're really accomplishing and making, something. And making progress because yeah. the next thing you know, you're on to the next chart, right? Um, yeah, eventually. <laughs> <laughs> Someday I will get to the next chart. It's been a few days that I'm still on the cuff. Yeah, but I am enjoying it. Um, so I don't know how long it will take. Yeah, because okay, well, I'm not working on it obsessively it's just right I need something to focus on let's do that so we'll see so you might be hearing about this one for a while okay we'll settle in thanks so I have also finished three snap hats by tin can knits I think I talked about this one last time this is the one where you take four strands of fingering weight yarn and hold them together and make a hat and it's fabulous so I made three of them First three one now, because we, yeah. we talked about the colors of the first one. And then I right. saw that you had posted a second one. Yes. So I did the one in my leftover white elephant mystery knit along and some other stuff. And then I did one in pinks and greens. It started in, started in mostly green and then transitioned into pink. And then I went through and pulled out all of my blues and beiges and grays. And so I just finished one that this kind of dark grays and beiges and goes into light. And then there's a little bit of blue going through it. And I had a sock yarn that, who is it from? Regia. It's a self-striping, but it also does patterning. So it looks like a super complicated sock, but it'll like has black and white mixed up stripe and then a blue. And anyway, so that made a really interesting color contrast throughout the whole whole hat. And it's good. And, and when I weigh them, I mean, it's using up almost an entire skein's worth of yarn or what, what would be, I mean, it's four scraps. Four bits. Yeah. yeah. So that feels very satisfying. Although my, my bin of leftovers is still really full, but I do feel like I'm making some progress. And I, my husband keeps coming in and sitting down like, what is this again? What are you doing? How long has this been going to be here? Like, it's going to be a while, but I'm working on it. I'm like, the point is to get rid of yarn. He's like, but aren't, aren't these leftover grungy bits? Who's going to want this hat? I'm like, no, no, no. This is leftovers from projects. So it's all the nice yarn that I've used. I just don't really have enough to do anything super great with it. So I shall make lovely hats. And he was, he did seem to think it was a nice looking hat. He's just not thrilled about having a basket full of yarn in the living room. Yes. What do you you normally have there? I mean, usually I have a couple of little projects here and there, but they're sort of contained in maybe a sock bag. If it's a sweater, it's a little bit bigger, but it's not. This is a 66 quart plastic container of yarn. (laughs) It's overflowing. (laughs) Oh 
Courtney just had to put herself on silent so she didn't snort water all over everything. Oh. Yes. It that is not explains a, it. Yeah. It's a lot of yarn. It's a lot of yarn. And then when you put it in the container, it some of it gets mushed up and kind of starts to come apart. And so it's all tangled up and I have to untangle things. And I would have been done with the third hat sooner, except that my gray yarns kept getting tangled together. So I had to take breaks to untangle them. And it's very frustrating. It's like, I have 12 stitches left to do and I can't do it because I have to undo an entire rat's nest of yarn, but it got done. That's delightful. I have such a good vision in my head of... And it is, it's not an, yeah, it's not attractive. It's not a, it's not a good look, but if it's not there, it won't get used. So it's a process. And then I have started another sweater, which I'm very excited about. And that's also why I need the socks because I have gotten it to the part where it is just miles of stockinette. And that is not super fun. Good for TV knitting, but not super fun for just sitting and knitting. Um, So this is a throwover sweater by Andrea Mowry. The yarn for this is from Madeline Tosh in their vintage, which is the worsted weight, which is kind of a medium weight yarn. This was a kit that Simon got me for Christmas in 2018. So like two years ago. So that's not too bad. I feel pretty good about it. I mean, I'm getting to it. And this was the point of this kit was actually it was to make the throwback cardigan, which was the original version of the pattern. And that came out in August, 2018. And then just this past March, she came out with a pullover version. That's the throwover. And I've been feeling like I haven't been wearing my cardigans very much. I'm much more of a pullover kind of gal. So it is basically the same design. It just doesn't have the cardigan part. Yes. So this is the one with the really beautiful. That was the yoke. Yep. With the blue and the white and the pink. And those colors are copper pink, danger, will Robinson and farmhouse white. And then the main color is Nocturne, which is this beautiful, deep, dark blue navy. I did the color work part of it in, I think, just over the weekend. I maybe started Friday, but mostly Saturday and Sunday I was working on it. It's very addictive, relatively easy. There were a couple of rows where you had three colors. So that was that was a learning experience, but it, but it worked out. And it, I think it looks really pretty. It seems to fit. I haven't tried it on since I separated for the sleeves to see how big the body is. So I need to do that soon, but yeah, it's, I really like the colors and now it's just lots of knitting, but it is worsted weight. So it should go pretty quickly. We're working our way yeah, that's through a the, great... uh, yeah, I think it'll be really nice. I've been debating because there's so much of the contrast colors left over doing something on the sleeve or the hem, maybe just like a little stripe or something to add a little more interest, but then it might take away from the, the rest of it. Oh, maybe I could do, huh. There's the, at the, there's three sections of the yoke and the, the top and the bottom are just kind of stripes. Dashes kind of. Dashes, yeah. yeah. So maybe I could do that at the bottom of the sleeve. That could be, be interesting. Fun. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have to think about that, see how, how I'm feeling when I actually get to that part. But yeah, that is all my knitting. I want to keep doing some more hats and I've got my socks that are going to take forever and my sweater is going to take a little while longer. And but yeah, but it's it's been making me happy. I feel like I'm you know, doing things that I want to be doing. And I don't know if it's just the post gift knitting bliss, <laughs> but, but I am enjoying it. And then I still have ideas kind of going around in my head, what I'm going to do next. But overall, I'm in a good, good spot with the knitting. Great. What is on the easel? Oh boy. Well, I love a long-term project and I have that big, deep one for limb and latitude, which I painted a ton of stuff for Okinawa since we last chatted. And then I scanned everything in to make a giant array, like um, more of like a poster or I guess, of all of the bits and pieces from Okinawa. And one of our listeners, Tori, who's in New Hampshire, she is the one who filled out a huge section of her survey about why she loved Okinawa. And we actually get to chat this afternoon. So I'm really excited just so that I don't miss any, any last great detail. And I have some questions for her about her experience there. And so I'm really excited about that. And I think I'm going to do some painting about Russia next. 
even though there's like so much political stuff going on in Russia, I'm still curious. I want to paint some Matryoshka dolls. So there you have it. And then when we last spoke, I had maybe mentioned the 100 Day Project, how I was going to keep on with my dry media experiments. You did. And the 100 Day Project has started. Is that correct? Yeah, it started. Is it early this year? It is. Okay, because because everyone started posting. Um, I was so confused. It feels so early. I mean, whenever you want to have it is fine, but it was weird. (laughs) I'm glad I'm not totally... I think it was back in November that the person who sort of runs the admin side of the project, which is free and open to anyone, uh, Lindsay Jean Thompson, she sent around a survey asking people, you know, we're all still in quarantine. Would you like to start it earlier this year? Just because it still feels like you know, quarantine times. And a lot of people said that they did like the idea of having it earlier because then when things open up for the summer, the project is sort of at a close. I think it closes in May this year, Um, but it is wildly early and it's, and I was on the fence. I was going to (laughs) do, I was talking to Daria about doing really casual dry media sketches. I was going to work with pastels and colored pencils and keep it really casual. And then I had an idea and there went that there went casual. Uh Totally. So my hundred day project is a hundred days of illustrated storytelling. And I, yeah, that's not casual. (laughs) I feel like there's a lot of buzz happening on Instagram right now about the algorithm changing and feeling sort of beholden to Instagram to post and to keep your engagement up and to do the work of, do all of this free work for the app. And I feel like that's really relevant for some people. And I have felt that way, you know, just pressure to be present and on there. But I have that the opposite feeling in a good way when it comes to this project, because I just want to do this project. And I sort of, I don't need anybody else's hoorah about it because I am, I'm so excited to just make this thing come to life. So even though I, I loved the break that I had from Instagram, because I really stepped back a lot in November and December. And I didn't think that I'd be diving into it, into the 100 Day Project. I am just in love with this creative journey. So 100 Days of Illustrated Storytelling. I am writing and illustrating. I think it's going to be all one story. I am not sure. I don't have an outline. I don't know what the story, I don't know what's happening tomorrow. You know what I mean? Like, I don't have it written in a chunk. I don't have even the... It's like when you do those storytelling with your friends where you write a paragraph and then you pass it off and someone else writes a paragraph, except it's just you. It's just me. Yeah. And and then I'm also illustrating it. And this is something that I learned from the chapbooks. For me, and my background is creative writing and art. So it totally makes sense. And maybe it's not this wild thing for anyone else. But for me, when I sit down, it's always a surprise what comes first. Like sometimes I'll be writing and think, oh yeah, that's what this character is going to do. And then I go and draw the character and I think he's not a piano player. He is a beekeeper. Like (laughs) And so it's this little evolution that happens just in my own head with these two different pieces of myself. So I have a vision of this house and not just the characters who live in it right now, but future generations. And then I know something happens and there's a big shift in the house. And I, I'm not sure where, where in the, narrative that happens or if it will change. Basically, I have no idea what I'm doing. So I drew the house really loosely 
and then I realized that some people needed to inhabit it for a while. And then I drew the people and then I realized that I needed a model of the house to keep drawing the house. I need fluency for the house and the people, the characters, right? And so often when I'm doing character studies for the chapbooks, I will draw them, do all of these different character studies, and then be able to morph the character into whatever situation because I feel like I've gotten to know the character. Well, that hasn't really happened yet with these, with the house or the people. It's only day four though. It is only day four, but Norm, I would never reveal that, you know, like in the process of a chapbook, you just get the chapbook and Ah, everything feels cohesive. And so I keep warning people, this is going to be bumpy, (laughs) but, but I think that's fun to see the process. A lot of that is is kind of the cool behind the scenes. It is terrifying to share the process because it feels really vulnerable and I also feel like, are people going to be upset if I change course? And then I have to remember like, well, it's my circus. So, you know, I have to just keep going onwards. So after I posted the first day and I realized that I needed a house model, I spent all day the other day building. So I wanted to build a model for myself, visual aid, if you will. Like an actual, oh yeah, an actual model. Okay. You were saying that and I know you've done that before and well, hold on to your hat. So I plan to build something this big. Okay. And I'm showing Monica uh, a four by three by three inch. It's like maybe the size of your hand. Yeah. Right. That was my plan. Okay. Are you ready? But 3d. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's more like. 18 by 12 by 16 and it is I mean you could move in (laughs) it has the size of a San Francisco apartment yeah no it's big yeah it's roomy yeah so um I spent all day hot gluing this cutting it up with exacto knives and I had so much fun this by the way is the cupola of my Victorian mansion, farmhouse, manor house, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So that's so fun. (laughs) And then, and then I made these people and I don't know who they are. They're the berries, Mr. And Mrs. Berry. I don't know. I don't think they're going to be there for long because I have other people to move into this house, (laughs) but I thought they're berries. I know, but I don't know them very well. So today I plan to draw lots of their their faces over and over and over again because I feel like unlike like paint you can kind of splash it on and paint over it and that doesn't happen so well when you're drawing you can't just paint over it and that's really frustrating and I should point out I'm terrible at drawing portraits and people and it's not my normal genre at all like Birds, yes. Typewriters, yes. People, (laughs) no. So here I am, day four, drawing something that I'm not great at. I don't have fluency with, and that terrifies me. And I feel like, well, that's about right. That's the hundred day project. So that's awesome. It's kind of your comfort zone and not at the same time, which is excellent. It's a, a lot of not my comfort zone, but the the model. You know, I kept telling people, it seems really ridiculous, but I have a cardboard house to build. I can't make dinner right now. (laughs) That seems totally reasonable. And if they don't understand that, then. If there was ever a reason for takeout, it's, I'm sorry, I have a cardboard house to build right now. Yeah, I agree. So that's what's, I I can't even fit it on the easel. It's too big, (laughs) but um, that's what's on the easel. That's excellent. All right. So on the table, I have finished up buckwheat month, which was January. I did make the buckwheat crepes. They were not tacos. They were crepes. The whole did process, you see the, mm-hmm. the buckwheat honey that I sent you from the Russian grocery store? Yes. Yeah. I know. I, next I'm going to have to buy it for you. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I'm going to have to circle back 
on on buckwheat. I think it was it was a good good month, and I'm not sure that there are enough gluten free grains that I can get through the entire year and not repeat myself. So we may have to come back, but this was definitely a good start. Uh, the crepes were good. I mean, it was a basic crepe recipe except using buckwheat flour. I think there was some regular flour in there as well, but mostly buckwheat flour. It took a long time because I had forgotten that I needed to wash the chard and it was from my produce box, which is always, I mean, I think they, they rinse it, but it needs to be washed many, many times. Slightly so, gritty. Yeah. And yeah, little, little creatures and got to make sure it's nice and clean. So it takes a while. So that took a while. And then making crepes always takes a while. Why is the first one always a complete disaster? Always. It doesn't matter. It's always it a doesn't. complete disaster. But then I got to taste it. So yeah, it just got that extra heartiness to it. It worked out well. So I'd make the crepe and then fill it. And then I had it in the low oven and just kind of kept them warm and it melted the cheese. And then it came time to eat and it was all delicious. So, so that was good. And then for the finale, I made a buckwheat banana cake with a maple coffee glaze which is delicious. I mean, it's basically yeah. banana bread, but <laughs> in cake form with a glaze. So that was good. And that was from this book that I got from the library called Snacking Cakes, which is excellent. And I highly recommend, I'm probably going to need to buy it. She has four sections. There's a ton of recipes in each. It's like fruit flavored ones, chocolate ones, something and something. I forget what, but delicious. And you basically make them in an eight by eight pan or you could do it in a loaf pan or you could, you know, get fancy if you wanted to. But the point of it is that you kind of throw it all together, bake it. And then as my family already does with any kind of baked good, come into the kitchen, grab a little snack. So they are going very quickly. Again, it's sort of dessert one night and then we finish it off at breakfast the next day. Usually gets there. So I've made the buckwheat banana one. I did a pineapple upside down two nights ago. I've got a a donut one coming up that sounds really good. What else did I do? Berry ricotta cake. They're simple. There's not really any crazy ingredients for the most part. And they're turning out delicious. I do like the 100 cookies, but sometimes the cake is just easier to throw together and stick in the oven and you don't have to worry about putting all the individual pieces. Yeah. So that's been good. That was buckwheat. We're now moving on to quinoa, which is not a terribly original grain, but I'm trying to find new ways to deal with it. Again, instead of just here's some quinoa on the side of your plate, which is a totally valid and awesome choice. So my first recipe was Swiss chard and quinoa gratin from the Wimpy Vegetarian. So it was Swiss chard and quinoa and Swiss cheese and ricotta. Oh, and sun and sun-dried tomatoes that you actually, well, cherry tomatoes, roast them in the oven for 20 minutes, I think, and then add them in there. So the flavors were great. I think I didn't squish out the liquid from the chard enough. So it was still kind of soupy. Soupy, which was unfortunate, but I really liked the flavors. It went over went over pretty well in the family. And I'm pleased with the the use of quinoa. So and then I, I went into eat your cookbooks that website Mm -hmm. and search for all the quinoa recipes. And there were some really, some really intriguing ones. So I am looking forward to, to what will be coming up next. And then last night was a black chickpea curry, also from the Wimpy Vegetarian. It's a black chana masala, but you use black chickpeas, which I had never heard of, but sounded kind of fun. So these I ordered from Chili Smith Family Farms and they, they're like my favorite Rancho Gordo heirloom beans and black chickpeas apparently. So that was kind of cool. And it was, it was nice. It had roasted eggplant and tomatoes in there. And I got to use my new mortar and pestle that I got for Christmas to grind up some spices. So that was a whole, whole fun process, which I enjoyed and it was quite tasty. And then I think just having something a little different in there just makes the evening a little more special. And then I've been doing citrus on the side. I don't know why it doesn't occur to me. Usually if I'm thinking, you know, we need a vegetable or something, I go green salad. Mm -hmm. And I think I just had a night where I didn't have anything or there was some greens already in the dish, but I I needed something else. So one night I just, I got a pineapple, cut that up, 
put it on the side. And then the other night we had Cara Cara oranges from our produce box, which were amazing and kiwi. And so I sliced those all up and put them together. And it was just really nice, refreshing. The citrus is great right now. My son, oh boy, boy one actually commented on the oranges. He's like, what are these? These are really good. Um, so I think it was just, you know, just that bright, little bit of brightness in January um, that I that I kind of tend to forget about. So I was pleased with that. So I've been trying to throw more citrus in the produce box to, to keep going with that while it is still extra delicious. Yeah, it's in season. So good. Yeah. And our produce box has always has multiple varieties of mm -hmm. oranges and tangerines and, and all that good stuff. So it's fun to try the, the different ones and see what the flavors are. I like to throw those um, sumo tangerines into a salad, like slice them into bits and yeah, chuck yeah. them into a salad. Yeah. That's always delicious as well. Yeah. Yeah. What is on your table well, when you're not building houses? When I take a break from building cardboard houses, I, I also use my mortar and pestle. Nice. I know here, here to uh, pull in stuff out of the back of the cupboard. I've had mine for a while, but I used it to make those raspberry rye cookies from hundreds. Yes. Cookies. How were they? Uh, amazing. We call them cookie scones because they taste like scones and they feel, I don't know, scones never feel healthy, but they felt like healthy ish. I don't know why. Whole grain. Yeah. There's not that much rye in it. <laughs> we're being honest. And if Fruit? I had left it, if I had left in all of the raspberry seeds, they would have been 90% fiber for sure. So the recipe calls for, uh, I forget how many ounces of, of, uh, raspberry, it, basically a packet of those freeze dried raspberries. It's probably oh, half wow. a packet, a pa probably half of a packet, but here's the thing. I put them in the mortar and pestle, ground them up. And I was like, there's tons of seeds in here. So I thought I'll just use the whole packet and sift out the seeds, which is about right. <laughs> it's about the right <laughs> ratio. So I recommend this step because it made for totally smooth, beautiful, very pink until I baked them dough. And then there was only a few seeds from the fresh strawberries that you tuck inside the dough ball before you bake them off. So you just take a raspberry or two and put it in the center and wrap the dough around it and bake them. And then there's like a little peak of, they look more jammy on the illustration in the book, but it's just a fresh raspberry peeking through. Amazing. My new favorite cookie out of that cookbook. So do they taste and, pretty raspberry? With they all do. the yeah, the well, especially because well. I doubled up essentially oh. the the uh, the dried raspberry powder. But I loved the rye. I used a dark rye, so it was even maltier, I think, mm. than if you had used a regular. It was really good. I will make those again soon. I just got to get some raspberries. Then I made a turkey stroganoff, ground mm. turkey stroganoff. So we don't eat red meat hardly at like we do, but it's very rare. And so I have been trying to bring in ground turkey into some of the favorite recipes that would have been ground beef. And it was a total, it totally landed great. Everybody loved it. Well, I have one kid who hates mushrooms, but he really needs to get with the program because this is a mushroom yeah. household and I don't well, have time. And stroganoff. I mean, that's the whole point. I no, and he'll eat chicken marsala, which when I make it has mushrooms in it. Uh, yeah. So I don't know. It was a really heavy mushroom week in his slight defense, <laughs> but I need his palate to catch up to his like six foot tall. <laughs> like, come on. Anyway, turkey stroganoff, total hit. And then I did the do So is it like a usual kind of stroganoff sauce and just with ground turkey instead of nice? Yeah. And it's super easy. Oh, and my other trick with it was instead of doing it over egg noodles, I added in those little baby gnocchi. Oh. So it was all one skillet and I served it with giant salad and some steamed lemony spinach. Just there needed to be some brightness because stroganoff yeah. is, you know. Especially with the gnocchi. Especially. Yeah. It's a, it's a winter stew. Yeah. For sure. I like the gnocchi idea though. That's. 
Mm-hmm. Time plus. saver. Time saver. Then I did a do-over with the mushroom polenta pot pie from the San Francisco Chronicle. I was so determined to get this recipe because the cover or the illustration in the paper was so beautiful. Mine was not. <laughs> it was completely unphotogenic. I mean, ugliest thing I've made in a really long time. But Monica, it was delicious. So good. The problem was that I had the mushroom ragu. I had beautiful polenta that I made from scratch, which is not hard because it's just cornmeal. The mushrooms had a lot of liquid that didn't really thicken. And so what happened was when I put it in the pan, the liquid from the mushrooms came up over the top of the Um, polenta. And so it didn't get crispy on the top. It looked like brown mess, ugly, super ugly, but it was so good. It was so yummy. There is no, there's no photo of this thing. (laughs) I will try it again because we loved the flavor and it was super satisfying. And some of us around here love mushrooms. Yeah, if you don't like mushrooms, that one could be difficult. Yeah, it's rough, rough times for this kid. Thankfully, he knows how to scramble an egg and he knows how to make macaroni and cheese. So he's just fine. Then my only other cooking note is that I resurrected Sadie, my sourdough starter. Oh my goodness. So Sadie had been languishing in the back of the fridge and I was just not into it. And there was, I forget the name of the water that forms on the top of sourdough, but I want to say hooch, but I don't think that's it. I think that's like, isn't that the like, it's like moonshine. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) But that's basically what it smells like. It smells really strong, but it, in some ways it helps seal the, the fermented starter. And I have to say it developed an incredible depth of flavor being in the back of the fridge. So I fed it a few times and left it on the counter and it's doing its whole growing out of the, what's that little shop of horrors. <laughs> I'm doing a little shop of horrors. A lot of farm movements. <laughs> little shop of horrors. Oh, okay. Sourdough. So Sadie's back. I don't know what I'm doing with her, but I was cleaning the fridge and I thought this is a do or die situation. So I'm thinking maybe I'll do some uh, pizza crust, pizza dough with it for the Super Bowl. Nice. Um, or, I was going to say pretzels for the Super Bowl. Blubba, Super yeah, Bowl. that might that might work too. Or I did see a recipe for stromboli the other day, and we mm. love stromboli, so I might do that too. So I may have some more sourdough comments next time. But she's on the counter and she's very happy, bubbling away, and it's like I said incredible depth of sourness happening there. I mean, it doesn't smell sitting on the counter, but you know what I mean? And that, that's it. I guess we've just been, I've been building a cardboard house. Uh, You gotta have priorities. I will say, so uh, on my Facebook came up a memory. I had done cookbook roulette, I don't know, years ago, came up. So ground turkey, it's sort of a shepherd's pie variation with ground turkey and then cubed, apples and potatoes on top. Ooh, French recipe. So I have to think about how to work that. I guess I could just use my fake ground meat, except that does definitely have more of a meaty flavor, whereas the turkey is obviously more mild, but might be worth resurrecting because I did say it was quite tasty. Well, I love the idea of apples and potatoes. Yeah. And they weren't, no, they weren't mashed. So it's a little bit different texture wise as well. Yeah investigate so on the nightstand what you're reading you know every time I think I haven't read that much and then I I come here and I look at my notes I'm like oh actually I have so I'm just going to stop commenting on how much I've read because apparently it's going to be a lot for now for now until we can get back out into the world it's fine that's true also I have a bunch of audiobooks this time so I think that's kind of Part of it. And one of them is technically from last time, but it didn't make it into my notes. So that one is Snow Child by Eowyn Ivy. I loved that. Which, oh, did you read it too? Yeah, I kept hearing about it from so many places. And then somebody said it was really good on audio. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was you. I mean, no, you I read been. it. And I think it was just available from Libby. So I 
threw that in my ears. Yeah, it was really good. It was not exactly what I was expecting. So it's the story of a couple, Jack and Mabel, in like 1918. And they are an older couple. I keep wanting to make them older than they actually are because they're probably actually my age. Um, <laughs> I think they're a little, I think they're in their 50s and I'm not quite there yet. So anyway, they've grown, they they moved from Pennsylvania to Alaska to start start their lives over. And they, on the night of the first snowfall, make a snow child, a little girl. And they wake up the next morning and the, the snow child is gone. There is a set of footprints leading away from the mess and the the mitts, the mittens and the scarf they'd put on there uh, have disappeared as well. And they, they think they see a little girl in the woods. So it goes on from there. And it is called the snow child. So, you know, you might expect there to be a snow child, but it wasn't, it really felt more just about their relationship, getting to know Alaska, getting to figure out how to live there, building relationships. And it was, it was really beautiful. It, it did not take me where I expected it to go, but I really, I really liked that one. I and felt then, the same. I thought it was, um, you know, how the other families would sort of help them deal with the winter and learn shortcuts and take care of each other. And it was as much about their physical well-being as their mental, mm-hmm. you know, because it's such a hard life. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad that you found that oh. one. That's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> and so then the next one, also an audiobook, a little bit different. This is definitely out of left field, is The Ballad of the Whiskey Robber by Julian Rubinstein. This one is the story of a professional hockey player in Hungary in the 90s who is also the most successful bank robber in Hungarian history. <laughs> so, then. Because obviously that would be something I'd be interested in. Right. Aspirational, uh, aspirational reading. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was just so bizarre. It was a really good audio recording. They, they had, uh, there was the person who was reading it, but then anytime anybody was talking, they would use a different person. So you had this whole cast of characters Apparently one of the Ramones was in there as well. I couldn't figure out who he was reading, but like random people were doing this. Anyway, it's this crazy story. The guy escapes from Romania. He's of a Hungarian origin, lives in Transylvania. Transylvania, well, I was going to say it's kind of like Alsace-Lorraine, but that's an equally obscure reference unless you're (laughs) into French history. Um, Very similar. Transylvania has kind of been fought over by Hungary and Romania. The Hungarians who lived there weren't treated well. Um, so he, when he was like 20, snuck onto the bottom of a train and got himself over the border. But then once you get to Hungary, they don't trust people from Romania. He somehow gets himself onto this hockey team in the capital. Um, he's the third string goalie and also their janitor. And that's the only way he makes money. So this is right when Hungary is getting away from communism, you know, late 80s, follow the Berlin Wall, all that, the gangsters move in. So it's kind of a crazy time. And he decides he's going to become a bank robber. He does an amazing job. He finally gets caught. He escapes from jail, goes on the run, does some more bank robberies. I mean, this whole story is wackadoodle. So you get kind of Hungarian, recent Hungarian history, you know, the problems with the system and the guy was just a character. It was just weird bizarre story how did you find this book i have no idea i suspect well the hockey thing that was why i was interested in it it was probably either from strong sense of place or oh maybe what should i read next one of them must have mentioned it and i was like hockey bank robbery what so it just sounded bizarre and it was available on audio from libby so so that was something different i'll say yeah and then my third audiobook was The Beauty of Humanity Movement by Camilla Gibb. And this takes place in Vietnam in like 2007. Maggie grew up in the U.S. but was born in Vietnam. And she has come back to search for information about her father, who was an artist, um, but did not make it out of Vietnam with her and her mom. And so she wanted to try and get more information about him. She is an art historian, and so she's working at a hotel cataloging their art collection and trying to track down people who might have known her dad and can give her more information. One of the people that she's talking with is old man Hung. He has a, a pho cart. He had a pho shop, but lost it during the revolution and the war and all of the turmoil. 
Um, and then there's another, his sort of grandson is two who is, does tour guides and is kind of the new modern Vietnamese kid. And so working together, they're trying to find information about her father and it goes back, back and forth with time. So you get old man Hung's story and obviously the whole story of Vietnam and all these connections between people and, and all of the things the country and the people went through. It was really, it was a really beautiful book. I'm kind of interested in how she did her research. She doesn't seem to have any personal connection to Vietnam. So I find that interesting. And there wasn't any information about, you know, how she did it, but a lot of the the things she's talking about seem very similar to the next book that I'm going to talk about, which was written by someone who grew up in Vietnam. So it does seem to be fairly accurate as far as experiences and whatnot, but I was kind of interested in that. Um, that's the Beauty of Humanity Movement by Camilla Gibb. So then I went into some books that I actually read, and the first one was The Mountains Sing by Win Fan Kui Mai. And both this one and Beauty of Humanity Movement were from the Vietnam episode of strong sense of place. And they were both like available right away, which is not always the case with books online. So that's kind of how they ended up jumping to the front of my my list. So The Mountain Sing is the story of three generations, mostly in Hanoi. Um, and most of the action takes place like in 75. So right at the end of the war. And then it goes back all the way to 1930 and gets the whole family saga and everything they've been through. They were they were landowners, so the grandmother had to escape with her six children and what happened to them and getting to Hanoi and then rebuilding their lives and rebuilding their lives again. And then what happened, um, how the war tore the family apart and the relationship between the grandmother and the granddaughter, who are sort of the only two left, but then everyone comes back. And, and again, all of the struggles of the country and the people. and But another really beautiful book about the connections and family. And I really enjoyed that one as well. And this author, she grew up in Vietnam until she went to college, I think in Australia. And she is mostly a poet in Vietnamese, but this is, I believe this was her first book in English. So the writing was a little stilted at times, but the story was really beautiful. So that was The Mountain Sing by Win Fan Quy Mai. And then it's time for romance. I, <laughs> I watched Bridgerton, shocker. So I was inspired to get back into the books. I had read the first one in the series. There are eight because there are eight Bridgerton siblings. If you haven't haven't seen the show or heard about it yet, and each book focuses on one of the kids. That's but, fun. I didn't know that. Yeah. So I'd already read the first one a couple of years ago. So now I, along with many other people, requested the books from the library. So I read books two and three. The first is The Vicant Who Loved Me, and that focuses on the oldest sibling. The first one focuses on the fourth kid who's a daughter. Now we go back and get the three older brothers. So Anthony is the Viscount in question and he is decided he is ready to get married but he for various reasons does not want to be in love with his wife. So he asks his brother who's the belle of the season. Okay I'm gonna marry her. She is really beautiful and lovely but she says you need to get my sister's approval, my older sister's approval. So the the girls are from a respectable family, but only have enough money to get through a single London season for the both of them. So the older sister is not at all impressed with his Viscount because he is a rake. So he sets out to try and charm her. We can see where this is going. It's kind of a taming of the shrew story. Not quite as misogynistic as that because it is a, a romance. So. so yeah, so it all works out after a couple of struggles and a great deal of humor. There's a, a scene with a dog chasing them and falling in a lake and, you know, all that good stuff. So that was fun. Third one is An Offer from a Gentleman, which focuses on the second brother, Benedict. And this one is a Cinderella story. Um, Sophie is the illegitimate daughter of an earl and ends up at the mercy of her awful stepmom, although no one really acknowledges that it's her stepmom. And she finds herself alone at the age of 20, goes to work as a housemaid, and runs into Benedict, who saves her from a bad situation, and shenanigans ensue. Although, actually, this one is less shenanigany. There's a lot more emotion and hard stuff that our heroine is going through, because she doesn't have money, which insulates you from some stuff that mm -hmm. she is not insulated from. So this one is a little more, a little more serious than some of the other ones. 
but still works out well. And I look forward to reading the other, what, five <laughs> books of this series. There's a really long list, uh, wait list. So we'll see when we get to those. And then finally, How to Catch a Queen by Alyssa Cole. This is her Runaway Royals trilogy. Um, this is the first one. The second one comes out this summer, I think. Sanyo is the new king of a African country that threw out the colonizers about 50 years ago. His dad was in charge of that, along with his advisor, who is a jerk <laughs> and still trying to be in charge. One of the traditions is that along with your coronation, you get married. So they they bring in a bride and he's like, all right, fine, whatever. But there's a four month trial period. And Sanyu's dad never kept any of the wives. So he doesn't expect to either. But of course she's amazing. And she has, she decided when she was nine, uh, Shanti decided when she was nine, she wanted to be a queen. And so she has trained herself in politics and economics and graceful behavior and polite chit chat. And she is, and uh, she's also into the martial arts. So she is amazing at everything, but is basically kept hidden away in the castle. And although sparks fly when they look at each other, I'm just not sure how they're going to make it all work. Although obviously they will. I do like, I do like Alyssa Cole's work. So this one, this one was fun and I'm looking forward to the next one in the series. And those are my books. Good stack. How about you? Okay. I have, I have a pretty good list this week too. I read Anxious People by Frederick Bachman. He's the guy who wrote oh, a yeah. man called Uwe. Yeah. Did you read that one? Yeah. Okay. I, I loved that one. Oh, I loved, I loved a man called Uwe. Bear Town was really hard for me. Um, it's about oh. a hockey. It's a hockey. Bear Town also? Mm-hmm. Oh, I've read Bear Town. Yeah. That was a okay. tough one. That wasn't that really was a tough book. Hockey. No, no. <laughs> Which I was annoyed by. Understandably. Anyway, well, Anxious People is definitely about anxious people. Oh, okay. <laughs> the, the setup, like the first 50 pages of this book has a really weird, ambiguous tone that almost made me close the cover for good. Hmm. And I'm going to be really careful here. And people who have read the book will know why. There's a, speaking of, there's a bank robbery. Um, it's all the rage. It's all the rage. Maybe not as successful as yours, but anyway. And then the bank robber races off and ends up inside of this apartment that's being held as an open house. So they're in Stockholm and the bank robber is inside the apartment and there's all of these other couples in there there to see the the apartment that's for sale. And what happens is you get this unfolding of everyone's story and why they're looking at the apartment and you get the bank robber's story and then you get the, the police investigator's story. And it, it takes a really long time for it to sort of unfold. I think too, slightly too long because I don't know what service you're doing by keeping people I'm more interested in their stories, not so much in the reveal, I guess. But a lot of people loved this book. And so I can't say too much else because there's so much in the momentum and the pacing of it. And I feel like if you're into it for the people, then there is a payoff with finishing it. And I love how it ended, if that can be said. I think so. I just said it. So there. Yeah, so I guess it can be said. <laughs> it can be said. Then I found a book called Where the Forest Meets the Stars by Glendy Vandera. This is a book that takes place in rural Illinois, modern times-ish. And the main character is a grad student and she's studying like bird nesting patterns. And so she's on her summer internship in the woods. And this child like wanders into her camp. She's in a cabin and there's like a campfire outside. And so this child kind of wanders into her life and the girl has bruises and she refuses to say who she is or where she's from. And she insists that she's an alien from the stars. And she's this really uh, precocious child, maybe like eight or nine years old. And 
the woman doesn't know what to do because when she calls the sheriff, the girl runs off into the woods and she's really thinking that the girl was abused. And so that's why she doesn't want to go home. They form an attachment over this, you know, short summer time period. And a lot of the time, the child is so convincing that she is an alien from her name is Ursa. And she says she's from this, I forget the name of the planet, <laughs> but the child is completely charming. And there are other characters that are really interesting and add to the scenario. Like and it has, child. it is, except it has um, a more, you are confronted with the reality of why the child is there. Ah, okay. It, it's not left a mystery. And that is, that is hard to grapple with and and then the intervening consequences of all of their actions i loved the book because the main character was was well rendered i loved that she was studying birds in the woods and she was a she was a complex character and she was dealing with grief there's just a lot going on with her and i was very committed to seeing how this was going to play out for that for that one character yeah I really enjoyed that book then while I was building my cardboard house (laughs) I listened to the patron saint of pregnant girls which is the new Ursula Heggie oh so this came out I think in the summertime Ursula Heggie wrote stones from the river I think a lot of people have read that it's it's pretty well-known, amazing book, highly recommend. This book has some commonalities. So Stones from the River takes place, is it post-Nazi or is it during the war? It's during the war, right? I'm terrible at remembering. I don't remember. But there's a child in Stones from the River who who has dwarvism. And so that's a theme that runs through it. And so they're trying to protect her from being taken by the Nazis. I should reread that because I'm not remembering it quite well now. Anyhow, the reason why that's relevant is because in Patron Saint of Pregnant Girls, there is another child who has dwarvism. And I think it must be something that really interests Ursula Heggie. And I think that that is kind of wonderful how she folds it in. What is surprising about this book is how the the girls, these young pregnant girls are, they're kind of delightful. You know, you would think that it would be this demonized home, but really they've made it a beautiful, safe place. And it's not, it's not a terrible thing or existence. And I love how they handled that. There's also this other story where there's this hundred year wave that comes, the beginning of the novel is, that these children are swept away by this hundred year wave. It takes place on the coast of Germany in like the late 1800s. And this family loses all but one of its children, like three children are swept out to sea and how the young couple handles the loss of their children. And they have one baby who's left and that they get a girl from the home of the pregnant girls to help care and nurse for him because the mother is so bereft. I think it's really magical how she's woven together all of these really disparate stories and built a community for these people during this time. I think her writing is just fantastic. And it's, I kind of wish that I had read it because when you're listening to it and building a paper house, you lose some details along the way. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Ursula. Uh, but I'm, it might be one that I go back and read in paper form. Yeah, I feel like that about audiobooks sometimes. I can't have them be too serious or yeah, they can't be too good, right? Because right. I need to be able to see the words and to think about it and and to go back and maybe look at something else and I just and I'm usually doing something else, not building a house, but you know. Yeah. I and want I it to be a good story, but it can't be all-encompassing. Right. And especially because there was, there was this whole, I, I forget how she says it, circus, circus, like circus theme happening. And normally if I'm reading, like those words would be embedded in my brain. And when you're just listening to it, it 
it doesn't lodge for me. So it might be one that I turn to in paper at some point, but I did read the paper version of Celestial Bodies by Joka Alharthi, which is won a man booker prize a couple years ago and I were reading this for book group oh did I read that I feel like I read it or I've heard it maybe I've just I don't read know about it. I don't know let's hear let's hear what I'll you do have a brief to... description and then you can tell me excellent this play takes place in Oman during the 1970s when the when Oman abolished slavery yes or when they were supposed to abolish slavery mm. this is an interwoven story about sisters and their arranged or unarranged marriages. And it's told in like alternating points of view from the parents and the lovers of some of their parents and then the sisters and then the the spouses of those sisters, a lot of voices. And what I so loved about this book was one character in particular, one of the men, how he vocal like spoke of love. Actually, two of the characters, I thought that that was so powerful. One of them was really into poetry and he, the only way he knew how to express his love was kind of through someone else's poetry, which was beautiful. But the other character truly loved his wife and he, it was sort of unrequited. Well, it was totally unrequited. And he, just how he saw his world and wished she could see something of that in him and their, and their family. Wow. It was really, his storyline in particular was really powerful to me. I can't wait to discuss this in book group because there's, with a book that is so rich and can unfold in so many different ways. It's so beneficial to hear what other people can share about it. So yeah, that should be a good discussion. How many times can I say so in that paragraph <laughs> of my word? I'm really excited to, to do the work with book group and, and hear other people's thoughts and perspectives on that. Yeah. And then one last little slim volume called how to be an artist by Jerry Saltz. And I picked it up or it came through the library. It's a new book and it's basically like 65 tips to keep your artistic spine straight, you know, like (laughs) don't let them get you down, kid. It's a total pep talk for doing the work and enjoying the process. And it landed perfectly because I had decided to embark on this hundred day project. And I was questioning whether people would care about the process and Basically, he said, trust the process, which is a great, a great, was a great way to start the, the hundred day thing and have this kind of cheerleader in paper by my side. What's that one called? How to be an artist by Jerry Saltz. And I've decided that I'm going to share when I read these kinds of little books, because I know other people would enjoy them too. And I don't often share those when I'm talking, I, I normally just share fiction or no, the nonfiction, but I often read books like this and take a nugget or two from them. But what I love about this one, this particular book is that he will give you a bullet point 41. No, you don't need to go to grad school. You know, what it, what grad school offers and what it doesn't offer. And then just do the work basically but then there'll be one like, I got to find one. Oh, here's one. 40, number 47 is learn how to write about your work. And then mm. he talks about giving the pitch for your project or your art. And then there's a little exercise at the end. Write a simple hundred word statement about your work. Give it to someone who doesn't know your work at all and ask them to tell you vaguely what they think your work looks like. Oh. I would be terrified to do that but I like the idea. (laughs) So that is what was on the nightstand. Excellent. So I did read, I did go back and and listen to my review of gingerbread. Oh, just to see what I said. And I gave it four stars. Okay. Um, So I did, I did like it. And I said that it, it reminded me of a dream where it totally makes sense, but you cannot explain it to someone in a coherent way. Well, I give that description of that book five stars 
yes it does feel like a dream that you although it didn't make sense to me but that's okay there are a lot of other books out there this is true but I think that's it for now yeah okay so until next time make sure to do something you love every day thanks everyone bye hello and welcome <laughs> that was a good beginning show notes can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com you can find us on instagram as craftcookreadrepeat or courtneysf that's c-o-r-t-n-e-y-s-f on Ravelry I'm Magdon m-a-g-d-o-n and if you have any questions or comments email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com thanks for listening